Organizations are working today with logistics and transportation players on efforts to green the last mile. But the rise of e-commerce and customers' expectations for ultra-fast deliveries are complicating efforts and really slowing down the process. So how do we reduce emissions in this carbon-intensive last mile? Or is it even possible? Welcome back to JLL's Future of Logistics podcast series, where we discuss the pursuit of net-zero carbon emissions with logistics experts. I'm Michael Ignatiadis, and I lead the Supply Chain and Logistics Solution team here in Asia-Pacific for JLL. Joining us today to share his insights is Tyras Rankovic. He's the CEO and founder of aerial mobility firm H3 Dynamics. Hello, Tyras. Thank you, Michael. So H, I, I assume H stands for hydrogen, and, and hydrogen is something that we don't here often here in, in Asia Pacific, we hear of battery electric vehicles, for example. So why hydrogen? Well, hydrogen is positioned to play a major role in the decarbonization of multiple industries and across the value chain from production all the way to consumption of electricity. Hydrogen is actually a way to store electricity um, in the form of a molecule instead of an electron. And so this poses multiple advantages in different circumstances, but it's not a perfect or silver bullet solution in this whole decarbonization journey. So I think it's one of the mixed elements, I would say, depending on how you use it, where you use it, how you make it. So, so essentially both involve electricity, uh, just how you store it within that, let's say, vehicle. Yeah, so storage of electricity in hydrogen offers the advantage of quick recharge, it can also offer the possibility of weight reduction compared to batteries because hydrogen is, is the most energy-dense element in the universe. It is one of the reasons why rockets use hydrogen to go to space. Okay. So, you know, of course, that's the first application. But since the Apollo missions in the 60s, this technology has been looking for ways to get into consumer industrial applications. Okay. And how did you choose to go into hydrogen in that space? It's an extremely long story. I was a corporate investor for a big chemical firm 20 years ago. I was looking at the connection between polymer membranes and this fuel cell technology. And I was also very intrigued at how to create a profitable fuel cell company in a very difficult industry sector. So our goal was to really break through in this technology space. And we did so over the course of 20 years. We've developed multiple products into multiple applications. We've also identified what are the right uses of hydrogen and what are not the right uses for hydrogen. What, what, is, the, what is the right use? So I would say there are two. So first, for anything that's ground mobility applications, I would say commercial fleets with high utilization and point-to-point -point repetitive routes. Okay. This is a very focused and specific type of use where hydrogen makes sense today because you remove the kind of requirement for massive infrastructure deployment for recharging. That's one of the big impediments to mm -hmm. the hydrogen economy that everybody has been hoping for. So, for example, like if I'm a factory, I produce product, and then I want to ship that to my main warehouse, would that be, con would that be considered a good use of hydrogen truck? Yes, and if that's a repetitive route. So if you're doing that every day, day and night, if you're working with a port uh, where you have multiple vehicles coming in mm -hmm. and these hundreds or thousands of very heavy vehicles 
if you were to use batteries as the main technology to propel them, the charging infrastructure for so many very big battery applications would be very difficult to follow mm -hmm. from a grid perspective. So hydrogen has a role to play on this type of application. After 20 years of work, we can say that's a, one of the right technology market fits. Okay. The other right fit is in anything that requires weight reduction right. compared to batteries. And, uh, so the, it's, it's lighter, hydrogen. Much, much lighter than, than batteries in certain ways to, to store it, of course. And uh, so one of the immediate obvious applications is anything that flies. So if we were to electrify flight, you have two options. You can either use batteries or you can use hydrogen. And so we've been working on the hydrogen topic for many years, mm -hmm. and we can fly anything orders of magnitude longer than with batteries as a result of the weight advantage. So these are the two real applications for hydrogen that we see right now. Okay. So if I can imagine, a parcel could be quite heavy, correct? So it would be a big advantage if the drone itself is, is light and can travel the distance. Yeah, absolutely. So logistics, whether on the ground or in the air, benefit quite a bit from the weight reduction of this technology, even, let's say, in ground mobility, because if you're carrying a heavy load, you don't want to be carrying partially the load of the batteries. You want to maximize the load that you carry for the unit economics to be viable in an electric ground mobility application. For air mobility applications, the big limitation with, let's say, unmanned systems today is the battery duration and the distances that drones can actually fly to deliver goods. So currently, the unit economics of drone delivery are limited because of the range that they can actually fly on electric. Okay, so, so hydrogen yeah. can open that market. So is that the, the big barrier, drone logistics or electric truck logistics? Is it the, the cost, the unit economics, as you said? The, the unit economics are definitely the driver, but it's, it's not the obvious unit economics. So it's kind of the cost of operations, total cost of ownership on the ground mobility applications over a certain period of time. We realize that hydrogen has an advantage. You say total cost of ownership. How do you define that? Total cost of ownership means the life of the, of the vehicle, the maintenance activities, the fuel costs, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. all form part of this total cost of ownership. One of the great proving points has been in the forklift truck applications within warehouses, okay. where big companies such as Walmart or Amazon have already invested quite a lot in applying hydrogen technology to come in as an energy carrier okay. for forklift operations in the U.S. So in, let's say Amazon, in one of the big warehouses, they will use hydrogen to power those forklifts going around the warehouse. Yes. And, and where do they get the energy, the hydrogen? Is it something they have to have another truck kind of refuel a tank and then they go? So currently, the way the work, world works on the hydrogen supply side, and that's changing, but currently the way it's, it's happening is through industrial gas delivery. Okay. But this is also changing. That's one of the big, big hopes for hydrogen because hydrogen can be made in multiple ways. Okay? And you have different, let's say, methods of production, the most common being using natural gas as a way to create hydrogen. But this is changing. Renewable energy is also uh, now a possibility to produce hydrogen gas mm -hmm. and other forms which are emerging, including you know, organic waste product. And so organic waste, kind of the landfill. where we Landfill, that's right. Yeah. So instead of burning 
this waste or, or burying the waste, we can actually use this as a resource mm -hmm. to produce hydrogen without CO2 emission, without any kind of combustion. And this is an area we're very keen on because we can bring this resource close to the point of use, which also reduces the cost of hydrogen. Because the biggest cost in hydrogen right now is the, the shipping cost of hydrogen from point to point. So if you can make it near the point of use, you suddenly open up not only the ability to have green hydrogen or zero emission hydrogen, but also a lower cost hydrogen source. So the idea is that it's a multimodal fuel and it can be quite adaptive. It also reduces the strain on, on distribution and transmission of electricity, which if we are looking at electrification in total currently, this is one of the biggest challenges is how do you bring electricity to the point of use with this massive increase in electrification. So creating atoms of hydrogen or models of molecules of hydrogen at the point of use is an alternative which could be cost-effective or can help to scale up electrification in the future. So, so theoretically, Singapore could create such a plant you know, in one of our small islands and, and we can push there all, all the landfill and then create energy to power back uh, our, our logistics. It could be one of the solutions. I think you have to see it as a mix because not mm -hmm. any single solution is a silver bullet. And you actually need a combination of solutions to help reduce the risk of not achieving the goal, right? right? In fact, Singapore will most likely electrify through renewable energy produced in Australia, for example. There's a cable being built under the water right now able to connect Australian renewable energy to Singapore electricity so consumption. So basically, we will buy a renewable energy from Australia. So that means that Australia will create that with what, solar panels or windmills? Mostly or? solar panels. Australia is a huge landmass mm -hmm. able to be applied to capturing solar energy. Australia is also a, a hydrogen producer now. And so we can either sell renewable energy directly through cables or as hydrogen, which is then shipped to point of consumption. Okay, that's interesting. So that means that if you live in Australia or, or operate in Australia, you have easy access to, to the sun. green fuel and renewable energy. So you can, I guess, choose your, your power provider to br bring you that green electricity. Australia has the advantage of lots of land and lots of sun. And I think all this solar kind of belt around the world can be applied to producing green energy, which can then supply less exposed countries. Mm. I think that's interesting because typically we see, I guess, countries like Singapore where we actually outsource our pollution, right? Singapore is actually a, an energy logistics hub. Mm. You have a lot of energy coming through Singapore, but this energy is mostly fossil fuel, right? Yes. So now the question is, can we convert this logistics hub from a fossil fuel logistics hub to a green energy logistics hub? And this is something that I think people are interested to explore these days. Yeah, that would be exciting. And talking about kind of electrification, if we imagine that tomorrow we can switch vehicles in Singapore to be electric, either battery electric, kind of like the Teslas, or using hydrogen, uh, what would be the, the challenge in doing that? Would that be possible? Is it just about getting the vehicles in? Hydrogen would probably not be the solution for cars in Singapore or even, let's say, passenger cars in most places, mm -hmm. okay? Because that's 
requiring a huge infrastructure to be set up, fueling points. It's much easier to create electric charging points for battery electric cars, let's say. And Singapore would need to adapt its grid infrastructure to be able to support the need for all this charging. And I think companies are working on that here already. And Singapore is a small city-state, so it's relatively easy to manage. Doing that at a larger country level in other places around the world, much more challenging. And like I said, hydrogen has its set of applications, which are currently most ripe in heavy vehicle, high utilization, point-to-point routes, back-to-base applications, such as the forklift application, which is also a back-to-base solution. And if you think about air mobility, you know, anything that flies will also have a point-to-point situation where it will need fueling points, but only limited mm-hmm. to those areas where the aircraft will land. On the drone side, would that also be a kind of middle mile where um, maybe you produce, you have a factory in Vietnam, you produce something that's high value and small in size, maybe eh, phones, mobile phones, for example, and maybe you, you ship those to the port. Um, so it will be kind of that middle mile again? Well, people are, are looking to figure the, 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 the use of drones in the logistics area, but I think we're going through some kind of a Darwinian evolution right. in our own understanding yeah. of how this autonomous technology is going to work. Yeah. And I think it's actually a combination of, of ground logistics, autonomous ground systems, as well as autonomous air systems. It was recently, there was an article in Nature about the advantage, the, let's say, the decarbonization advantage of using drones as a delivery mechanism for last-mile operations. I think the comparison to trucks is something like a factor of 10. So are you uh, saying that delivering, let's say, my groceries to, with a drone, a drone is, yeah. my understanding is that nowadays even that's very costly for companies. Actually, they're, they're losing money every delivery they mm. do of my bananas and milk. So for me, it's hard to imagine that using a drone would ever be kind of financially feasible. Yeah, and and it's true. I mean, right now, it's just like everything else. When new technology arrives into the market, it's usually expensive. And then over time, people figure out how to reduce the cost. And there might be other business models that also come in to, let's say, complement, you know, the use of these technologies to, to add more value in different ways, right? So, this was true for every, every technology that the world has seen from yeah. the beginning. So the, the first use for drone delivery currently is in the highest value products to be delivered. And that's typically urgent medical supplies, let's say blood samples, maybe vaccines in remote parts of the world where other delivery mechanisms are too expensive or impossible. Mm-hmm. And that's where drone delivery has started. Where there's one company, Zipline, I believe, has done already 1 million drone deliveries in the world. But it has done so because of the need for medical delivery in in remote parts of Africa. So that's not happening in in cities like Singapore, but it's happening in in very remote areas like Rwanda, for example. And you mentioned Africa. And I guess, I mean, that's maybe a bit of a cliche, but the more vast kind of landscape. So I can imagine a drone going to a remote village and... Yes, uh, but I mean now we're in, we're on the level thirty-five of tower here in Singapore, and I mean I can't imagine drones outdoors kind of crisscrossing each other. I mean, how, how would that look? Yeah, it's difficult to envision, but you know if you close your eyes and, and think about those some of these sci-fi movies where you see various things flying around the the city, right, doing different jobs, 
There's a lot of technology or underlying infrastructure technology that enable all of that. And we, what needs to happen is safe airspace technology and digitization of this airspace needs to take place for uh, drones to come into the airspace and become transparent to the authorities and also avoid any kind of accident risk. Now, for this technology to come in, there needs to be also a volume use case. Deliveries are not yet the right use case for volume creation. So H3Dynamics started some years ago in Singapore with one use case, which is creating a very large amount of drone operations, which is high-rise building inspections. 40,000 buildings in Singapore, Asia-Pacific being a high concentration of congested urban environments with aging infrastructure, all requiring kind of to be monitored. Right. And we are using drones to do that. In the last couple of years, we were responsible for about three and a half thousand drone flights in Singapore alone. Okay. What was the old way of doing this? So if I had to inspect the facade of this building for cracks, what would I do? You would rely on low-cost foreign labor placed on a rope or a gondola or a boom lift, which, by the way, would be a boom lift that's using a diesel generator mm. powered all day long for weeks at a time to produce this kind of inspection report. By using kind of flying cameras, we're able to scan buildings in a matter of hours and then produce those same reports using digital tools and, and able to scale up uh, the ability to kind of monitor the infrastructure of a smart city. So we are doing this here. We're the leader in the region. And this development is leading to airspace integration because of the scale of operations. And this airspace integration then leads to the ability to, to use drones for other things, including logistics, including right, so it's delivery. Kind of stepping stones, right? It's understanding this, you know, what does the evolution look like? It's a really a Darwinian evolution. And we are currently the small single cell type organism mm -hmm. in the evolution. And we, we have a view on what comes next and what needs to happen at each step. So I think airspace safety is a key point because that's a regulatory barrier, yeah. right? For airspace safety technology to be implemented, there needs to be a business case. It's not going to be logistics. It's going to be more like high volume inspections. Yeah. Yeah. This will then lead to deliveries because once the technology is there, we can share the infrastructure investment into airspace safety to apply ourselves to delivery, which is lower volume. When we're talking about cost going down, what is the cost component that's going to reduce? Is it the actual technology? Is it the drone itself? Is it the pilots who, who are going to be using the drone, mm. driving the drone? Are we going to have more supplies so the, the rates will mm. go down? What will go down with bigger volume? Well, the costs are hardware costs, software costs, operational costs. Hardware is already commoditizing in this industry, and we are riding the wave of commoditization. We think, you know, uh, hardware costs will, will decrease significantly, continue to decrease. Software is extremely scalable. It's already yeah. quite low cost. The last remaining one is operational cost, and this is where automation comes in. So we have been anticipating the need for automation in this industry, opening ourselves up to automating drones of different types. So we... We see ourselves as automating the global drone industry from a and, hardware and perspective. automating, you mean not having to have a pilot? That yes. It's... This automation story is, is due to a couple of things. One is operational cost reduction, mm -hmm. okay? but then there's a regulatory barrier involved with bringing autonomous technology into play, especially mm -hmm. in aerial applications. Right. It's very difficult to do. The, the other one is about precision, 
the use of the of the system for multiple applications to reduce the cost. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, kind of from a question from a jail perspective, I guess. So, if I was an investor who wanted to build a new logistics facility, mm-hmm. and they want to future-proof that facility, right? So, they want that facility to mm-hmm. last for 20 years, and they want to have tenants in 15 years from now want to go and, and lease that facility. How would I design that facility to, to future-proof it? To answer your question, I would say, what does the future look like, right? So, we need to envision what that future is maybe 20 years from now. I think automation will be a, a big part of it. It's already happening inside the facility with fulfillment robots. Then it's about connecting these fulfillment robots and, and what happens with the internal operation of the facility with what happens outside on the delivery side. You will have a combination of robots able to deliver from the warehouse to end consumers. And so it uh, will be kind of connected. Connected, yeah. Cloud will play a big role in connecting robots together, making them collaborative, mm-hmm. applying different resources to different activities at the right time. So all of this efficiency and operational efficiency will be tied to some artificial intelligence capability to basically allocate resources in the right way. Drones will be used as well, different types, different sizes for different packages mm-hmm. and different distances, maybe different technologies for different things. You might still use batteries, you might have hydrogen technologies come right. into play, depending on what distances you're trying to, okay. to operate, so for it, example. So it will be depend if it's a logistics facility at the gateway location, the port, or then yes. maybe that's opportunity for that middle mile to have hydrogen. So you yeah. might have to consider if 15 years from now, my client wants hydrogen trucks. How do I provide that? Yeah, so, I mean, it will start with, uh, with a battery charging infrastructure. Okay, so because battery that's the, is the easy way to start. the easy right? way to start, okay. And then f- from there, you evolve, right? You evolve because maybe the intensity of activity increases. You want to decarbonize further uh, for, for localized or on-site hydrogen production uh, matures. Um, and once you have this happening, Suddenly, you can extend the, the service capability of those facilities from maybe very, very close radius to much, much further radius. And the other part of this is how to network all of these infrastructures together and be part of a shared infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So from a real estate perspective, you might have assets, your competitors might have assets as well. Now the question will be how to bring all of these right. assets together to so, serve right. the broader okay. uh, ambition. So it could be that it makes sense to have a portfolio of assets that actually you future-proof them and they are able in the future to connect yes. with each other with these technologies and that will be a, it's a unique value proposition for think, the market. Think about how airports connect with each other today and, and basically you just do the same thing but maybe between building assets. So building assets are kind of mini airports when, when it comes to drones, and they all should connect in a similar way. Much more complicated to do, but the revolution in digitization taking place today and this whole idea of digital airspace will enable this to happen. Okay, so it looks like the future will be connected, connected infrastructure, combining uh, drone facilities, combine, combining some kind of battery or hydrogen electric trucks. But the key is they have to be kind of compatible, right? They have to be connected. 
mm-hmm. and that would be the future. So if you were if you if you were to look at Asia Pacific, which countries do you think that will happen first? Okay, and not having any specific kind of uh, plan or ambition, but letting the the region speak to us mm-hmm. in terms of needs, in terms of uh, basic economics. We saw that uh, certain countries in Asia, especially the ones with high labor costs. So the whole Asia-Pacific region, meaning Japan, Australia, Singapore, kind of in that order, are in big demand for, let's say, this kind of technology because of aging population issues, because of huge amounts of infrastructure already built, uh, and just not enough uh, people to be able to do the work, right? So, So these are the three priority locations, I would say, in the region. China is also moving forward uh, on this topic on a very big scale. But our company has been very much involved with, with developing and implementing the solutions here in Singapore as a reference country. Mm-hmm. And also, I would say, Japan and Australia, those two places. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Taras, really appreciate uh, sharing your thoughts and insights. And yeah, the future definitely looks bright and connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. For those of you tuning in, we hope you enjoyed today's session. In our next episode, we'll be talking about the key considerations and challenges of net zero warehouses. So be sure to stay tuned and see you soon.